I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Uh, Today's guest has been working in the field of standards and interoperability for a while. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And I was thinking about interoperability before the podcast and trying to figure out just how far we've gone. We've got now standards, we've got some rules and regulations regarding that, but we've not really gone as far as we need to, as far as making that information useful. And I remember back when, and I'm an internist by training, when I would get a medical record from someone else, it would be 30 or 40 fax pages long to go through and read and try to correlate all in your head. Um, I think we can do better. I think we're in the process of doing better with that going forward. Um, But we just need to keep working at it. And our guest today is going to help us kind of decipher some about where we are and uh, where that whole direction is going. Our guest today is Amit Trevetti. He's the Senior Director of Informatics and Health IT Standards at HIMSS, which the big meeting is coming up at the end of next week. Um, In his role at HIMSS, uh, he is part of the interoperability strategy across health IT standards ecosystem and acts as the liaison to the standards developing organizations, such as the National Coordinator. You know, in addition to doing this type of work, he actually kind of came up, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, through the world of, if everybody remembers it, CCHIT. Uh, Being on the opposite side of the fence and certifying an EMR through CCHIT, I remember some of that pain very, very well, Um, but absolutely necessary and certainly absolutely critical. So, Amit, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a really a pleasure to be here today. So as Senior Director for Informatics and HIT Standards, explain a little bit about what you do and what you're about. Sure. Um, and thanks for the introduction. And so, um, as you mentioned, I, I work with HIMS, and most people know HIMS uh, through the, the big conference that we have, and that's about to happen in, in just a, a week or so. Um, but uh, within HIMSS, um, my team and I work um, specifically within informatics and health IT standards. Um, as you mentioned, you know, we help direct and support the standards ecosystem uh, within HIMSS. And we also help represent our membership on various industry efforts. Uh, in fact, a lot of people are, sometimes are surprised to the level in which we are engaged in health IT standards implementation, adoption, and and so forth. And so as an example of that, like my team helps uh, run integrating the healthcare enterprise, IHE USA, that's the National Deployment Committee for IHE. And uh, we run the North American Connectathon, which is uh, uh, one of the largest industry testing events for interoperability. Um, we also have a cooperative agreement with uh, the Office of the National Coordinator to help advance the fire specification and, more specifically, the international patient summary. Um, I also help support a number of different uh, 
industry efforts as uh, serving as either a, a subject matter expert or on advisory boards. And some of those groups include Shift Interoperability, which is focused on the protection of uh, granular data and privacy protection. Um, the Interop Community, which is focused on um, supporting the um, uh, community with open source tooling efforts. And then also Digital Bridge, um, helping to um, reduce some of the um, barriers and challenges around health equity. And so a lot of these efforts all really speak to supporting the, the broader uh, mission and vision of HIMSS, which is reforming the global health ecosystem through the power of information and technology. So tell me a little bit what motivated you to get into this aspect of healthcare. Well, um, that might be a little bit of a, a, a lie down on the couch type session, but uh, um, so it goes back to, um, I, can, I can paint the picture. So I went to undergrad um, at the Johns Hopkins University. So like uh, many of my peers, I was interested in medicine and, and pre-medicine, um, you know, I was pre-med. Um, my undergraduate was actually um, the history of medicine, science, and technology. And that kind of spoke to my interests, which were definitely medicine, definitely science, definitely technology, but also, you know, the liberal arts, history, art, writing, everything else. And so um, that allowed me to kind of pursue multidisciplinary approach. Uh, but then um, I graduated right around, um, you know, Y2K. And so that was about the time where everybody was getting sucked up into tech, uh, technical uh, type uh, roles, things like that. Uh, um, just a little bit more about me personally. At that point, I was also interested in pursuing, you know, my musical career and uh, furthering my interest in, you know, playing in a band, et cetera. And so wound up graduating from Hopkins working in the Howard County Hospital radiology department as folks were transitioning to, to, for Y2K and helping modernize and moving to electronic health records, et cetera. And um, one way or another, I found my, my niche. Um, I was, you know, it was that intersection of um, technology, healthcare, people, policy, you know, is a little bit of everything. And, um, while I was still interested and still am interested in music, you know, that's always also been my passion. Um, health IT, um, uh, improving healthcare, finding ways to advance medicine, not being a physician, you know? <laughs> and so um, I found myself, uh, you know, working at Howard County Hospital, then um, moving through the ranks in, you know, IT work, uh, focusing really on um, uh, security, disaster recovery, those types of things, but then wound up getting pulled back into healthcare um, with a third-party insurer. And so wound up, uh, working with uh, basically um, claims and, and uh, the whole movement to, um, you know, digitize uh, claims adjudication. And um, really, that was my first taste of uh, issues around HIPAA, um, ERISA, um, different things related to interoperability and the complexities of of faxes and PDFs and illegible handwriting and payments and you know you name it um, and so um, I wound yeah, up I find that fascinating um, I to be honest I was going to be a music teacher before I went to medical school that was my passion as well so I understand that totally and I find a lot of people in healthcare whether it be technical 
or whether it be actual delivery, have this musical background. It's something about that that just seems to drive us into health With, care Without fields. a doubt. And, and we somehow find each other out as well, like seek each other out. So um, that'll probably be a, a topic for a side discussion as well. But basically my career just progressed moving further into health IT. I worked with um, groups like the National Alliance for Health IT, Certification Commission for Health IT, Verizon's ICSA Labs. And that led me to kind of what I felt was like my dream job at, at HIMSS, being able to kind of represent the industry, um, the our membership, which spans both patients and providers and technologists as well. So let's... Um turn to the subject of, of structured clinical data and its role in interoperability in the industry as, opposed, as it is related to the standards that have been created USCDI as well as 21st century cures that's now become a reality and there's a little bit of enforcement that's going to be announced for, or has been announced for that. So what do you think the role of, of structured data plays in the interoperability landscape? Well, you know, I. In my opinion, it's really all about the structured data, um, and that's what we've been driving towards for for years, right? Like we talked about faxes. Um, we live in a a, a world of um, you know clinical documents, um, but we're moving to a world that's um, going to be um, designed around fire, you know, fast healthcare interoperability resources. And, and really the beauty of FHIR is being able to support interoperability at the most granular levels. And so that really speaks to the importance of structured clinical data. And um, if you see the, the various uh, efforts within the industry, like 21st Century Cures, um, USCDI, um, all of these efforts help complement the emergence of FHIR um, to help interoperability and, and um, advance interoperability um, and, and being able to exchange uh, granular health data. And so um, it, as an example, the USCDI initiative is helping us as a community to identify and define the core data that must be transmitted as part of uh, health information. And then even that initiative, USCDI, is branching out into things like USCDI Plus to be able to cover the, the, the structured data that's specific to more niche and special communities like public health. So speaking of those data standards, and FHIR is, is a data standard um, in its transmission, what are some of the key drivers in the progress of that regarding the standards that are being created in the interoperability right now? And what are some of the big challenges that you see uh, when this finally starts to really be truly interoperable as, as far as the healthcare IT system is concerned? Well, you know, and so, as you mentioned, there's, there's quite a few drivers that have been moving um, the adoption advancement of standards forward, like meaningful use, the promoting interoperability program, 21st century cures, et cetera. And as interoperability progresses, um, we still have additional challenges. And so um, I think one of the biggest is, is around um, cybersecurity, um, security and privacy of that, uh, that health information. 
Um, and, and, you know, another is usability of that information. You know, I think you alluded to 40 pages of faxes um, earlier in, in our conversation, but now we're looking at potentially hundreds of pages of clinical data, right? So sorting from all of that information and information overload. Um, and then I think one other big issue is um, around health equity and those disparities that seem to increase as we apply more technology. You know, um, it's a we've probably mentioned this. It's a world of haves and have-nots, and sometimes technology um, exacerbates those those um, issues as as opposed to making them better. I uh, absolutely agree with that. When I talk to people from rural health providers, including my little hometown of nineteen thousand. Um, it's a wholly different landscape than you see in say a Chicago or a Pittsburgh or a New York. And they somewhat at times do feel left behind. That's, that's absolutely correct. I a hundred percent agree with that. And, you know, in my role at HIMSS um, or throughout my career, I, I, I feel like I've been focusing on interoperability at a much higher level, you know, national or international um, level of interoperability, but working with HIMSS, um, our local chapters, um, I see. I see exactly what you're talking about, and and the issue is that we need to be helping our local, regional, and state um, providers and health organizations and those entities um, just as much with with uh, interoperability um, as we have um, to kind of uh, advance this at the larger levels with the big national networks, the big large vendors, the big health systems, et cetera. So rural health um, is absolutely, you know, the last mile is, 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 is a big piece of interoperability. We can't have these big holes when we're talking about um, national or international um, coverage. So we talked a little bit about 21st century cures and the enforcement thereof. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, a stick sometimes is needed to move people along and keep people on the rails. Um, but there were six uh, quality health information networks that were recently announced. Um, how do these companies or data lakes or whatever you want to describe them as, how do you how do they play in what your work is and in in the industry? Yeah, so um, one of the things Tefka will help um, push forward is the, the network of networks, right? Because um, um, what, what we really need to have is, is you know, to, to scale interoperability is to have more of those, um, those, those entities um, hooking people up to the network, right? So it's not gonna be one group, it'll be multiple groups and then multiple groups looking at different specialties. So some of those QHINs may evolve to address the needs of a specific group. Um, but that said, the challenge is still gonna be, and, and when you talk about things like data lakes, um, looking at all that unstructured data and making sense of it, um, and also ensuring that there is that the proper level of um, security and, and privacy enforced as well. Because we talked about things like the, the uh, fire and the promise of being able to unlock data at its most granular levels. At the same time, the challenge there is to ensure that the metadata or other information is also present so that uh, things like privacy consent, authorization can also be tackled as we're looking at uh, the exchange of information. And, and so 
related to this, I think one of the biggest challenges, and it's something that we've been kicking uh, the can down the road for years around is uh, electronic consent or, or consent of uh, uh, information. Um, and so we, we are working in a, in a number of different areas to address that. And most notably uh, with folks like uh, shift interoperability. And uh, in fact, uh, we're working with the stewards of change to do an e-consent uh, learning lab um, as part of our uh, HIMSS pre-conference uh, activities. But uh, you know the 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 issue of consent is is really important, and I bring it up um, often with these groups in the context of health equity and equitable interoperability. Um, and if you don't mind, I, I can explain that a little bit more. Um, the The idea of equitable interoperability um, stems from the fact that when we're looking to share health information or health records. Um, oftentimes when a patient has a, a complicated health record, meaning um, information around substance abuse or um, things that would normally be sensitive, we often don't have the ability to um, protect that information at the granular level. And so when information or records are complicated, the default is often to not share. And so what we find is the folks that need interoperability or could um, be served the most by it, the folks with complicated health records, are the folks that are, are not getting it. And so that, that's an example of that um, issue of technology, in some cases, exacerbating the issue as opposed to making it better. Until we figure out a way to granularly protect patient data, we're going to be um, dodging this or working around this issue. I find that very interesting because that really has not changed in my medical history in this industry. Uh, I remember having conversations. We were a multi-specialty group clinic. We had psychiatrists, we had multiple patients. We had a unified medical record and they fought clinic leadership tooth and nail to keep their medications out of our unified medical record. And the argument was, you're exactly right, is those are the kinds of things we all need to know so we don't hurt somebody. They're on some drug that we don't know about or condition we don't know about, and we launch off that road. So I absolutely am sensitive to that. And I'm curious about your assessment of how the resistance to sharing some of this has changed in the 20 or so years you've been doing this. Well, I mean, I, I think we see a generational shift, right, in terms of privacy, identity, um, the ability to um, access information on demand, right? Um, I think if you look at just 10-year gaps, like um, the, the, the whole um, ideas, the ideas around that have shifted, right? So folks today have a whole new expectation around getting data, whose data it is, when they should access it, who should see it first, all these things come up. Um, and I think, um, you know, the younger folks are going to be driving this forward. Um, and so I see less resistance to sharing that data. Um, I think I heard it on a previous podcast, you know, folks were talking about um, um, you know, uh, releasing lab results, right? Um, uh, immediately when the lab results are, are you know, recorded. Um, and that may be before a provider gets to review that. 
uh, with you. And uh, this is a dinner uh, topic at, at home in the Trivedi household because my, my wife is uh, trained as a genetic counselor. And so if you can imagine what we're talking about in terms of genetic privacy, um, being able to release lab results about perhaps prenatal or cancer um, genetic test results without having a professional to help um, interpret those results. Um, you know, there, there's a lot there in terms of, um, you know, what would be the proper way? But I think um, most people agree, um, or I've seen many people feel that, um, you know, the, the data should be in the hands of the patient. Um, they have that option, whether they want to review it by themselves or with a provider. Um, and um, at the end of the day, you know, I think the philosophy is do no harm. And I think um, the, the tough part is the changing, um, you know, the, the, the attitudes around uh, maybe whether it's a, a, a patriarchal attitude in terms of uh, who should be um, addressing these issues and ownership or whether things should be patient mediated. You know, these are all a part of the swirling, you know, changes that we're dealing with. But I see that, you know, the direction seems to be clear that we're giving um, patients control of their data um, or we should be which I think is absolutely the right place it belongs. Um, when you see this data, and you, you mentioned this in, in one of your other comments, that we're going to go from my 40 pages of faxes for one patient to literally a thousand different data elements coming across in some way. So how do you see providers interacting with that? Because I can see pluses and I can certainly see minuses as to the volume uh, the breadth of what you're going to see, and how do you actually focus on the data elements that really you need to focus on? You know, and throw in uh, patient-generated data as well in, in that mm -hmm. mix, and that just explodes, you know, the amount of information there. And so, you know, in, in my opinion, the only way we're going to be able to get through this is through the support of AI and, and um, using those types of technologies to help sift through the information and present the right information at the right time to the right person, which, of course, is a tall order and, and may segue us to the next topic around artificial intelligence and healthcare and uh, some challenges around there as well. So are you concerned about how providers and other folks that are accessing this um, make sense of it all? Um, I am concerned because, um, you know, if you look at any industry, right, information overload is an issue, right? Like, so um, easy analogy, you know, um, pilots and dashboards, right? Um, how do they manage all the different alerts and, and, and uh, um, you know, notifications going on? It's a safety issue. Right. Same thing goes for um, a, a provider looking at all the different uh, inputs coming in. And so um, I think it's it's, uh, a, you know, it, it's it's a, a task well beyond any human. We're going to need that intervention from our, our technologies. And, and so then how do we how do we get AI to to support us? Right. It goes back to having that structured clinical data it goes back to having the metadata and the additional context and provenance around that, because at the end of the day, um, with these huge data lakes, with all this information coming at us from all these different uh, sources, 
um, the provider, the, the system, the whoever it is that's looking at this data is going to need to make sense of it, knowing where did it come from? When was it recorded? Is it something I can trust? Is it the most recent? How, what do I do with this data? So how do you see him's involvement in all of what we just talked about, meaning how providers are going to decipher it, how it gets transmitted? What do you think HIMSS's role is in this? Well, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think it's, it's the issues that we're talking about are not just a technology issue. They're not just a policy issue. And they're not just personnel, workforce, people issues, right? It's that combination thereof. And I think that's where we need, you know, that multidisciplinary uh, collaborative approach of pulling in the stakeholders, you know, and even hymns, like we need to do a better job of pulling in the right people or more people at the table, whether it's um, a more diverse representation of folks, um, getting uh, folks that are outside of the traditional um, healthcare spaces, um, and getting their um, involvement um, as well. And you know, one example is I've been working very closely with the EMS community to support um, interoperability with emergency medical services. And um, you know, they're often seen outside of the healthcare system, right? Um, um, often seen as just transport. And it, it's in everything from the policies to the payments to um, you know the data that's exchanged. So like um, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot, you know, as the the composition of our stakeholders changes, um, and it is because we're talking about more people, um, we're talking about more specialties, uh, more entities outside of traditional healthcare, especially as we start to talk about social determinants of healthcare. Um, we need to make sure that we take all those perspectives into account. And so that's where I think a place like HIMSS is the right place to convene folks and to at least get those conversations going and pull the right people together to, to you know, um, move, move forward. So on the stick side of 21st century cures and the compliance thereof, um, what do you think HIMSS role is in like getting involved with the enforcement or education or uh, especially with the um, EHRA members that you have, things like that. Um, so give us a little flavor about how you think HIMSS is going to interact with that. Sure, and, and you know, um, I have a little experience just because in the past I was not at HIMSS. So I would rely on HIMSS to do some things to help support my various programs. So while HIMSS may not directly get involved in the actual compliance or enforcement, um, you, you did mention the education piece, right? And that's, that's really where we can help support, whether it's um, uh, educating our various uh, stakeholders, members, or getting the feedback from our various communities back to the agencies. So uh, you mentioned the EHRA. And so um, they've been an incredible group in terms of being able to pull together um, a single unified voice for the vendor community to react to various um, regulations and policies put forth by ONC. Um, and you know, to their credit, um, if you've ever checked out any of their public comments or, or any of the reactions, I mean, they're thorough and solid and, you know, they put a lot of effort into that. And, and uh, as I deal with other communities, whether it's LTPAC, um, EMS, et cetera, they look at groups like the EHRA to see like, well, 
how do we get um, a similar kind of traction or leverage in the space? Um, so um, back to your question about the enforcement of 21st century cures, I think there's still a lot of questions around the enforcement, right? Especially when you look at things like the exceptions around information blocking. Um, those are always, you know, if I was a vendor, that's where I would be looking directly at. And then there's always, you know, some squishiness to some of the regulatory terminology, right? Like, um, uh, no special effort, right? Um, that's the, the API access rules. So, you know, special effort might mean something different to me, it might mean something different to you, and obviously something different to HHS or OIG or any of those uh, enforcing bodies. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, until we see that enforcement happen, the, or the industry does, that's when they'll know it's for real. So an example is for like, say, uh, meaningful use and the, the certification. Um, I spent, uh, you know, um, a decade certifying electronic health records at two different uh, entities. And, you know, and from meaningful use stage one to, you know, the most recent. And it started out as, you know, pretty loose because there weren't the test tools, there wasn't the experience. It was like, show us how interoperable you were almost, you know. But then uh, it, eventually the compliance piece came down, right? And, and there were a number of penalties that were handed out and things like that around uh, False Records Act, things like that. And then you bet people resubmitted their um, their attestation, made sure that they had dotted all the I's and, and crossed all the T's and and they, they approached certification and testing with a whole new you know perspective after that. And so I, I'd expect once there's some enforcement penalties laid down, that should definitely get everyone's attention. But up till then, people will be trying to figure out what exactly will this look like. And the cynic in me wonders, like, how much of this will be a real penalty versus a cost of doing business thing? Uh, but the penalties seem to be pretty stiff. I think it'll get people's attention once they once they finally roll out. We're kind of coming up to the end of our time. And I asked the same question of all my guests. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and say, this absolutely is going to happen in healthcare IT, what would it be? That's a, that's a big question. And, um, you know, I'm going to, there's so many things I would love to see happen. You know, I'd love to see just better improved access to care for folks, because I think that's, that's the big thing around health equity. Um, but if I want to push it back to um, standards and interoperability, um, I would like to see um, a more concentrated and a bigger bucket of funding to help support interoperability as a public good. Like um, we've been seeing talks about health data utilities. Um, we've seen, you know, the role that HIEs play. Um, we know that there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of interoperability. And so many of these projects and efforts are just starved for, um, the resources and and uh, honestly, like you know, COVID. If it hasn't improved anything, it's made things worse um, that were already worse, right? So um, you see a lot of these projects just struggling. And so I would love to see more um, funding to support interoperability and have that funding set up so um, these public goods are shared um, across states, across jurisdictions, um, things like that. 
Um, it has been a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. If someone wanted to get a hold of you and ask questions or comments, how would they do that? Well, you can come find me at the Interoperability Showcase at HIMSS in Chicago in, in a couple of weeks. Um, you can pop into any random standards work group, and I'll probably be sitting on that too. But um, you can also contact me at HIMSS, uh, at HIMSS.org, or on Twitter at A3VEDI. Um, but I, I would love to, I'm always interested in following up our, our talking shop with uh, interoperability enthusiasts as yourself or the audience. So um, I just wanted to say thank you again for the opportunity. It was such a fun conversation and we could probably talk for another two, three hours if we, if we had. At least, at least. Thank you so much. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.